All righty, we'll pick this up off the floor, and uh, it's easier to read when it's closer to my eyes up here. So, <laughs> uh, it is good to be with you this morning. Again, we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 7, and uh, I love the book of Hebrews. It, uh, if you want a good study that will involve both the Old and the New Testament, Hebrews is the book. Because in reality, it's hard to understand uh, Hebrews without looking and studying the Old Testament as well. Uh, but I do want to say uh, that we are going to focus on Jesus, the ultimate high priest, who is sovereign and superior over all creation. And the letter whose author we don't know, uh, we don't know who wrote it, we know they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, seems to have written to those who had a Jewish background, but it never says that. We just di discern that from the things that he talks about in this letter, specifically the superiority of Jesus Christ over all the things that are mentioned in this book. But it is also relevant to every person and to every ideology on earth. It is applicable and relevant to all people because it reveals the superiority of Jesus Christ. And when we understand the superiority of Jesus Christ, everything else falls under him. If you remember in Matthew 28, 18, it says all authority was given him in heaven and on earth. He is the authority. He is superior. He is greater than all things and everyone and, and everything on earth. And sometimes we have a tendency to forget that. And so this morning, as I share with you, I want us to be reminded of that. And for those of you who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life, I want you to understand that he is the only answer to the, to the problems that we have in our world today. He's the only answer that will fulfill what you need inside of your heart that you're yearning for, even though you may not sense that you're yearning for it. God is there. He loves you. He came. He sent his son to die for you on the cross, and he desires that you would know him. But he's just not another prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a great physician. He is the king. He is the Lord and the Savior. And he is greater than everything else on earth. There are so many religions and cults and belief systems that focus on worship. The worship of nature, the worship of some other gods or idols or goddesses. Uh, and supernatural experiences that it would be impossible to identify and deal with each one of them individually, but, it, but they do have some things in common. Let me share a couple of those with you. One, they worship nature in some way, believing nature is living and respons responsive to the desires or the requests of their heart. Now, you know people like that. Uh, we live in a world and, and in an age where there are all kinds of ideas and and uh, experiences and spiritual things that people draw upon instead of drawing upon who Jesus Christ is. Secondly, they worship or believe in gods or goddesses in some form or fashion and that they have some influence, these gods and goddesses, over the lives of men and over nature. 
For some, they themselves have become their own God because they have become the determining factor in what they believe, what is truth, what is not truth. And so in a sense, they become their own God, their own entity. The reality is, is that someday they're going to find out they are not. There was a statement many years ago that said, there is a God and you're not him. And that is a true statement. None of you can change the activity of nature. None of you can make the lame to walk or raise the dead from the grave. Only one was able to do that. Only one knows everything that has always been in the past and knows what's going on in the future and knows what's going to happen when he returns. Third, they worship or believe in some type of supernatural power or existence that somehow they connect to in some way with some kind of energy that will somehow benefit them. Now, I'm not being uh, critical and I'm not mocking that. That is the nature of our sinfulness. That's the nature of man. To try to seek out and find something they can connect to. Something that they can focus on that in some way, somehow they hope will do something to help them live this life. And the reality is there's only one. And that is through Jesus Christ who is superior to all things. So whether the readers are Jews or Greeks, bond or free, male or female, the truth of the message of Hebrews speaks to each one of those belief systems. Though the focus seems to be on those who were Jews to help them understand how Jesus Christ not only fulfilled the law and fulfilled the promise of a Messiah, but that he was superior to all the things that they themselves had a tendency to hold on to and in some way worship. In chapter 1 of Hebrews, if you want to turn back there for a moment, the first four verses of the letter are interesting because there's no introduction. When the Apostle Paul wrote letters to the churches, he had an introduction. You knew who he was writing to in a sense. Uh, there was also a, a, a thing at the end of the letter that, that encouraged them to pray. But in Hebrews, we don't find that. He jumps right in to the main part of the message. In verse 1 of chapter 1, it says this. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. This is the first reference that we have. It's a statement. It's a declaration of what this letter is about and who it is focused on. The superiority of Jesus Christ. If we follow the text from chapter 1 up to chapter 7 and then on through, we will find that the writer emphasizes that Jesus is superior to the angels. There are still people today that worship angels. Uh, to, he is superior to Moses, <clears throat> the writer of the law. 
He is superior to the Sabbath rest. He is superior to the earthly priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. He is superior to the ministry of that priesthood, and and we'll deal with that in a little bit. He is superior to the law and to the sacrifices. This is so important because those who are lost and without hope in the world, those who are struggling with trials and challenges of life, those who are looking for someone or something to help them with their distress, need to know that there is only one who can meet their need, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the only one who will answer the questions of life and death. There is only one who is the creator and the sustainer and the redeemer of life that they can turn to. And his name is Jesus. There's not another. You see, sometimes we want to, to kind of talk to people and kind of uh, use reasoning and logic and help them understand, you know, that this is, this is uh, who Jesus is and this is what he does. But the writer of Hebrews and the rest of Scripture is a declaration of truth. And too often we have voices of truth coming, or voices that we think are voices of truth coming from all these different avenues when there's really only one voice of truth. That's through God's word. That's through the spirit of God convicting our hearts. In Philippians 2.10 it says this, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I titled this No Other Name But Jesus, and probably some of you thought, well, I'm going to go preach out of Philippians chapter 2. I fooled you. Really? <laughs> I didn't do it on purpose, but in reality, the reason I titled that is, is because there's only one name. There's only one person, the name of Jesus. There's no other name. There's no other person in the entire history of the world or ever will be except Jesus Christ. It's like the little Sunday school class and the, and the teacher would ask a question and every time a little boy would raise his hand and, and to answer the question and when she asked him what the answer was, he'd say Jesus every single time. You can't fail. Jesus is the answer to everything. It's not a bad plan. In our passage this morning, we are focusing on the superiority of Jesus over the Levitical priesthood and the law. Jesus is compared to Melchizedek, uh, the high priest of Salem. And Salem uh, was the name of Jerusalem prior to it being called Jerusalem. In, uh, in Genesis 14, 17 through 20 is where we, we find this story. When Abraham had returned after uh, finding Lot, Lot had been taken captive after kings of the valley had attacked Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, They lost. They'd taken the spoils. They took the people. Uh, Abram heard that his nephew Lot had been taken captive. So Abram put together a force and they went out and they had victory over these kings and they returned to Salem. And when they returned, Melchizedek, The king of righteousness is what it says about him, met him. And there's some interesting things that we learn about Melchizedek. But Melchizedek blessed Abram. Abram gave him a tenth of all the spoils that they had. And Abraham refused to take anything from Melchizedek in return. Melchizedek, his name means king of righteousness. The city is named 
Salem, which means peace. Melchizedek was before the law was given. This is the time when he was not only identified as king, but also as a priest. That could not happen after the law was given. It talks about him not having any beginning and any ending. He had no mother or no father. It's a pre-incarnate image of Jesus Christ meeting with Abram. The law could not provide for the combination of a king and a priest. That is why Jesus is tied to Melchizedek, because he is both king and he is priest. He has no beginning. He has no ending. He always has been. He always will be. He's all, knowledge, all, all knowledgeable and he's all powerful. So let me share some truths from this passage. If you look at chapter 7, beginning in verse 20 of Hebrews, and we're kind of jumping into the deep end of the pool here because there's so much at the beginning of this and prior to it, and there's so much afterward. And so I, I, I chose this passage to focus on who Jesus Christ is as the high priest. Uh, so at some point, you may want to go back and read up to this passage and then read beyond it. Uh, but I'm hoping that through this passage of Scripture, I'll be able to share some truths with you that will resonate with you as a child of God or as a person who needs to know Christ as Savior, which is everyone outside of faith in Jesus Christ. So beginning in verse 20, actually, let's jump to verse 18 of chapter 7 of Hebrews. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. He's talking about uh, the law. For the law made nothing perfect. You could ask Martin Luther about that because Martin Luther sought to be justified by works. Martin Luther was known to have recognized sin in his life. He would go into his chamber. He would pray constantly, daily, hour after hour. He would chase down other priests and ask them to let him confess their sin. And finally, they would say, Luther, just quit. Go back to your room. You, you, I don't have time for this. He would beat himself trying to pay for his own sin until he discovered the passage in Romans where it really said you are justified by faith and faith alone. The law does not make you perfect. The law, in fact, is a mirror to show us how imperfect we are and that we cannot meet the perfection of the law in and of ourselves. Continuing, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede on their behalf. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. 
He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. So let me share some things. Number one, Jesus is the promised high priest. In verse 18, it says, the former regulation is set aside. The term regulation there means a command. It refers to the law, which made nothing perfect. A better hope was introduced by which we were able to draw near to God. The law, in fact, kept us separated from him. If you remember when the commandments were given, the Israelites could not come close to the mountain or could go on to the mountain. Only Moses when the temple was made, there was the holy of holies and the, the holy place. And you could not get into that. Only the high priest once a year. The law kept us from coming into that kind of a relationship with God. But through Christ, a better hope is introduced, which helps us draw near to God. God desires us for, uh, to come to him. Secondly, it was not accomplished without an oath. And this references Psalm 110, verse 4, where it says, The Lord is sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 8 of Hebrews, we learn about Jesus being the high priest of the new covenant, which was established in the upper room on the night in which he was betrayed. You remember during the Lord's Supper, he said, This is a new covenant I am bringing to you. It's not the old. It's not a revision. It's a whole new covenant. Not based on legalism. Not based on the law. But based on grace through faith in Jesus Christ. His shed blood. His resurrection from the dead. God's promises are many. They are sure. They are hopeful. And they are powerful. The promise of the Messiah was given from the beginning. Revealed through the prophets. And fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is superior to the law. He was the promised high priest. From the very beginning, God indicated from the garden on forward that there needed to be a fix for the sin problem. And that fix for the sin problem was not going to be found in the law or the commandments. Those things were to help guide us to and anticipate the coming of a Messiah who would fulfill all the law in Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting, a number of years ago, I was visiting with a lady who um, was a Messianic Jew and an interesting lady, uh, and we had some good conversation. Uh, but she was kind of getting after me and uh, complaining about the church not adhering to the Old Testament laws. And I said, well, we recognize that. We study them. We certainly celebrate the festival days. We don't legalistically follow them. We don't do all of those things. And she just had trouble understanding that. And I said, listen, either Jesus fulfilled all the law as, as Christ, as the Redeemer, as the Savior. He either fulfilled all of it or he didn't feel, fulfill any of it. You can't pick and choose and say we have to focus on this aspect of the Old Testament law and it has to be part of your life or you're out of God's will. You can't do that. He either is the fulfillment of all the law or he's not the fulfillment of any of the law. And so we had this kind of interesting conversation over a dinner that I didn't get to eat because we got so caught up in, in the conversation. But I, I encouraged her. I said, listen, 
Look at what Jesus did in fulfilling it. He is the promised Messiah. He accomplished what needed to be accomplished. He fulfilled every aspect of the law. Don't be so caught up in trying to adhere to a law that doesn't exist now in the new covenant. Secondly, Jesus is the permanent high priest in verse 23 through 25. Here Jesus is contrasted against a temporary earthly priest. In chapter 7 verse 2 the scripture says this. His name Achizedek means king of righteousness. And also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father, mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or ending of life. Like the son of God he remains a priest forever. Jesus is our, our priest forever because of the oath. The guarantee of a better covenant. God does not break a promise. God made an oath concerning Jesus Christ. There was a promise given, a guarantee, an assurance that he would be the one who would fulfill all things. That he would be the ultimate high priest. Not an earthly high priest. But he would be the permanent high priest associated with Melchizedek, again, without mother or father, without beginning or without end. It is an absolute truth, an absolute promise that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now notice what he says about this. It talks about his nature. His nature is eternal. He lives forever. His power saves completely, not partially. Sometimes I think we lose track of that because after we have sinned and we've confessed that sin and God has forgiven us our sin, we're still trying to go back and somehow do things to impress God or to overcome the sin that was in our life. If God forgives our sin through faith in Jesus Christ and when we confess our sin, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, that when that happens, we've got to put it away. He saves us completely, not partially. His plan. The plan here is that it's only through him. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one, absolutely no one gets to the Father except through him. It's not through the law. It's not through works. It's not through any other mechanism. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate high priest who fulfilled all things and brought the new covenant. And then it talks about his promise. He lives to intercede for us. If you remember in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed for his disciples because of what they were about to endure. He prayed for those who also would believe on him. He prayed for you even back then. He prayed for all those who would believe. He intercedes on our behalf. Someone said this, which I thought was great. They, he said, they said, you cannot have an intercessor who is as guilty as the one he is interceding for. Remember, Jesus was sinless. He was tempted in every way, just like you and I. But he never gave in to the sin. He lived a full life, a complete life. A sinless life with a purpose and with a promise. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for me. He is the permanent high priest. The Old Testament priest would live for a period of time and then they would be gone. 
and you would have to have priest after priest after priest. I think there's something like 17 high priests from the time the law was given to the time that the temple was destroyed. They're not here anymore. They're in the grave. Jesus, the high priest, lives forever. He is the permanent high priest. That will never change. Don't let anyone else or anything else take his place. You see, if Jesus is the high priest and then all of a sudden we start thinking about all these things in life and we start trying to evaluate them and we're trying to figure them out and we start making decisions outside of him and we start looking at the scripture and reading them and hearing what God has to say and then say, well, you know, I I see what he says, but I kind of think it should be this way. What we have done is we have elevated ourselves above him. He either is the high priest, the king of kings, lord of lords, the savior of the world, the creator, sustainer, redeemer of life, or he isn't. And we can never elevate ourselves over him with our minute mind trying to figure things out that we'll never figure out. Or trying to do things because that's what we want. That's our preference. It just doesn't work that way. He is the permanent high priest. But third, Jesus is the perfect high priest. Notice the characteristics in verse 26 through 28. The characteristics for the high priest who is able to save us. His purity. He is sinless. He is holy. His perfection. He is blameless. Set apart from sinners. His position. He is exalted high above the heavens. He is exalted over the angels, over the prophets, over Moses, over Aaron, over the priesthood, over the law. He is exalted above all, which is why he is Lord of lords and King of kings. His purpose is that he made one sacrifice for sins when he offered himself as a sacrifice. And his power is that he has been made perfect forever. Jesus did what the law could not do and what the law could never do. Jesus did for us what we ourselves could never do for ourselves. We can't pay the price for our sins. We can't work our way into his will. He loves us with a fatherly love, but that sin has separated us from him. And we'll never bridge that gap in and of ourselves. And I think I've mentioned it before. If we took all the good works from the beginning of time and all the good works till the end of time when Jesus returns and we piled them up in one big heap, it wouldn't move us one millimeter closer to our relationship with God. Because it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy that we are saved. He is the perfect high priest. Our salvation does not come from our will, our works, or our wants. Our salvation is not obtained from the angels, the prophets, the law, or our forefathers. Our salvation does not come from some unknown spirit of the universe or some imaginary god or goddess. Our salvation comes through Jesus Christ and him alone. He is superior to all of those things. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the beginning and the end. He is the living water. He is the bread of life. He is the good shepherd. He is the sacrificial lamb of God who didn't sacrifice the sheep to temporarily satisfy the law, but sacrificed himself for the sheep 
once and for all. You cannot avoid or deny the inevitability of our life. We are born and we live and then we die. And in Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, it says this, Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed to take away the sins of many people. He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And then in verse 10, the very next statement is this, But the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come as a thief. You see, there's a reason why we need a high priest, a superior priest, the ultimate high priest that is greater and superior uh, than anything else on earth uh, to the law, to Moses, to the prophets, to the angels. Nothing is elevated to his level for he is God in the flesh. He is all God and all man without taking away from either one of them. He came born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He went to a cross for the purpose of paying for our sin, your sin, my sin. And then he overcame that sin through death and the resurrection. And he lives again, high and exalted, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And his desire that you would come to him in faith, that you would put your faith and trust in him, believe that what he did was sufficient to pay the price for your sin. And that you need no other priest you need no other human involvement. He is the only mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. The ultimate high priest, the only high priest, the superior high priest, who always has been, who always will be. He is the purposeful high priest. He was promised, and that promise was fulfilled. He is permanent, it will never end, and he is perfect in every single way. Listen, there is no other name to call on for salvation but the name of Jesus Christ. There's no other name. There's no other gods. There's no other goddesses. There's no philosophy. There's no special, some kind of vortex somewhere in the universe. There's no kind of energy force that's with you for some reason. There's only one, the one who created you, who loves you, who wants to redeem you from your sin, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. There's no other name. Do you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life? Do you believe and understand all that God did? God created you. He sustains your life. God at any moment could call any of us home. At any moment in his time frame, he could end this world as we know it. But he loves us too much. That time hasn't come. The door is still open for each of us to trust Jesus Christ. We do that by acknowledging our sinfulness. You see, if there's no need for a priest, then we don't have any. If there's no sin, there's no need for a priest. But there is sin. You and I know it. We look at our world. Look at the lawlessness, the anarchy. We look at history and all the things that have done. Look at your life, your thoughts, your patterns of behavior. Just even this last week or maybe for some even this morning. If you got irate about something. Yeah, we're, sinner, we're sinners. We're sinful people. There's only one answer for that. Jesus Christ. So we acknowledge our sin. It's called uh, confession. 
I agree with you, God, that I am a sinner. And I want to turn from my way of doing things and I want to follow Jesus Christ. I want my life to turn around. And I believe that what he did on the cross was sufficient to pay the price for my sin. He shed his blood for me and overcame death through his resurrection and ask him to forgive us of our sin and give us everlasting life. The Bible says when we do that, that we become a new creation, that the old things are passed away and all things are become new. I'll tell you, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ in December of 1978 at the age of 27 years old, I had a past uh, that checkered is not the term that should be used for that, but it was a checkered past. I was a lawless person. I was a wild person. I mean, I didn't get thrown in jail or anything, though not there weren't times I probably should have been. I had a struggle believing that when God forgave me of my sin, that he forgave all of my sin. But remember what we looked at this morning. He saves completely. And once I was able to grasp that what he did for me on the cross took care of all my sin, I was free. And I was able to live for him and follow him and know that every time I stumble, I can come before him and acknowledge my sin again and confess it and know that he will forgive it. And that I have an eternal hope that is in him and through him and for him that one day I will be in his kingdom, living with him with all the saints of glory from past, present, and future. That's freedom. That's why Jesus... That's why Jesus is the ultimate high priest and the only priest and is superior to everything else. Father, I thank you this morning that you have reminded us about who Jesus Christ is. He's just not another historical figure. He's just not a, a friend, though he calls us his friend. He is the king, the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the only avenue, the only one who can do for us what we need most. And that's to have forgiveness of sin. And then he intercedes on our behalf and he, he guides us and directs us through the Holy Spirit. He, he encourages us and strengthens us in, in the midst of a chaotic world. He gives us peace that passes understanding and a joy that can never be taken from us. He truly is our high priest. Help us worship him in spirit and in truth. Help us to continue to draw upon him and learn of him and study and share him with others that they can know him as Savior. Help us to truly live and experience the promise of who he is and what he does for us. To his honor and to his glory and for his kingdom alone. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I pray God has spoken to your heart this morning and encouraged you, maybe challenged you. Remember throughout the day as we sang songs of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is how they, they referenced him coming into Jerusalem that day. Give him the praise and the glory. Let him truly reign in your heart of hearts. 
submit and surrender yourself to his will and be obedient as children are to their loving father so that we can represent him well in the world in which we live who desperately needs to know him as Savior and Lord. May God be with you, encourage you, strengthen you throughout this day and throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be dismissed. As you leave, there are uh, boxes, uh, the, the things in the back. If, if you're, um, God leads you to give uh, your tithe or offerings, please do that. Um, try to have as much fellowship on your way out as you possibly can with self-distancing uh, uh, um, and encourage one another in the Lord. We'll be dismissed.